Wow, 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 wow. I will just say, I. so my family and I have been at Valley Church, it's pretty much 10 years, almost exactly. We started, yeah, 2014. Yeah, we can clap to that. Thank you, Jesus. And a couple days ago was exactly three years of being a pastor. So a couple milestones here in the Forsyth uh, family's relationship here with this amazing house. Um, I just want to say hi. If you're watching on live stream, you're actually probably ministering right now in Mexico. But if you are watching, I want to say hello to Pastor Lynn and Renee. We can all wave here. Hello, Pastor Lynn and Renee. Ryan and Christy Brodine and Dina and Craig Shoemaker. We love you guys so much. And my wife is sick. So let's say hi to Tessa right now. Tessa, we love you. And Parker, who are at home, they haven't been feeling the best. We love you. I know you're watching. Uh, And some of my family in the East Coast. So hello to you and our online community, which is growing. So we just appreciate you guys and just pray that you're encouraged. And I pray that you get meat right where you're sitting not from my lips, but by the Lord, right where you're sitting in your, in your home or apartment at home. Um, you know, this, I've probably had, well, I'll just say this. I have never felt so loved stepping up to preach today. And, and it's not exaggeration. I have had, I just want to acknowledge just Blake Tillery. Thank you for coming and finding me out and loving on me. Jason Stiba, thank you for coming and finding me and loving on me. Pastor Tim, thank you he's probably serving, doing something for coming and finding and, and loving on me. Um, for Rick and Lisa and Arlette and the prayer team, thank you for your encouragement and prayers this morning. Um, Drew, thank you for finding me. And I mean, I, I, it's a little hard preaching when you get loved by so many people and prophesied and encouraged because you're like, I'm done. I'm just going to fall out. We'll just call it a day. Let's just go into social Sunday. I'm good. You know, Um, But no, I believe he has a really powerful word for this morning. Um, And just multiple times, such a time as this, I want you to just to say, I was born for such a time as this. I was born for such a time as this. This is my destiny moment. And Jesus is equipping me and empowering me to fulfill that destiny for the Father's glory. Amen. Yeah, I just feel such an urgency to the times we're in um, and just in my own personal life have felt just such a stirring and a fire towards um, the moments matter, right? Every, whether seemingly small or big choice we have you know, today you may go to Costco and get some groceries, but you're going to run into a couple people and that those are destiny moments. That there aren't coincidences. If you're a child of God, especially, you know, he has good works. He's planned out in advance for you to walk in. He orchestrated those. He knows the days in your book before one was numbered, Psalm 139. Did you know there's a book on your life? Each one here has a book. I have a book, you have a book. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit knew before time. And today you're walking in a page of that book. And you have Father, Son, and Spirit, and the angels to assist you so that you step into your moment, fulfill what he has you to do, and that he would be glorified. That's happening right now, even this morning. He knew you'd be sitting here You'd be hearing the worship. You'd be experiencing the worship. You would run into the people you did from parking lot to coming in this morning. Just like from the time I arrived, all those people he prompted. Yeah, I'm speaking, so I had probably an extra measure of that. But there were people who came up this morning and prophesied over you, hugged you, loved you. That's all his orchestration for such a time as this. So it it just puts an urgency that I don't want to miss the moment. Anyone else feel that? I don't want to miss the moment. Has anyone felt an extra stirring maybe recently? I don't want to miss the moment. I don't want to miss your will, God. I don't want to miss your will. Um, 
So I want to just share something kind of on a fun note here, although I would say a serious note to me, but it's also a very fun note to me as well. Um, I've shared this from the pulpit. I, one of the ways I love actually connecting with God is movies. How many people love movies? Any movie buffs here? I love movies. As long as they're, they're redemptive, honoring to God, not too much filth. In fact, no filth's great, but if it's in the right context, but... I just love how um, I often see the gospel in films and I see pictures of godliness and righteousness come forth in evil situations. I love that. And for about five years, I've been on a end of the world or disaster kick. <laughs> and Tess is probably laughing right now because she's like, why do you want to unwind when the kids are down? You've been working hard at the church Two hours of constant stress. I don't know. I just, maybe I'm sick in the head and I need help. 2012. Love that movie. Come on. Armageddon. Asteroid flying to the earth and they have to get on it and dig a, dig a, a huge hole and drop a bomb in it. And it's stressful the whole way till the end. I love those suspense. Greenland. Greenland was one of the recent ones. Uh, love it. I love those films. And why do I love those films? Um, I love it not because I love stress, but I love to see people step into their destiny moment when the pressure's on, when the, the temptations are there, when pending doom is coming and they may have moments to live, but they lay down their life for someone else with their last couple moments that they get. Because I know that's where it all comes down to, is that our moments matter. And when I see those moments of courage, it puts everything in perspective. Especially in the context of a disaster movie where a lot of people die. You're really faced with your mortality. And... That's another reason I love those kind of movies because I think we need to be reminded of that. Now, I know we're people of the resurrection, but the truth is we only have so much time in this expression. Let me say it again. Yes, I believe in the resurrection. This, this body is not my final body. Can I say, can I hear an amen to that? I want you to just put your hands on your shoulders and say, this body is not my final body. I'm going to get a resurrected body, a perfect body a body like the resurrected Jesus's body. Amen? So that is the bedrock of our hope. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to go there, but if you want to study the resurrection, how important it is. So I'm all about the resurrection. I'm all about life. And I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to have a resurrected body. I know I'm going to be in eternity. And there might be some today, if you don't know that, and I'll get to this later, you you don't know this might be your last time to be able to come to church. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not likely. Well, it's possible. And if you don't know Jesus and where you're headed and your name's not written in the book of life and you have not given yourself to Christ, today is your destiny moment. Yeah, let's clap to that. Yeah. It says, when one sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. When one sinner comes into their destiny moment because of turning from sin, believing upon Jesus and what he's done, they get born again, all of heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices in our destiny moments. The cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, 1, is cheering you on right now. Do you know you, you have a, a crowd cheering you on? yes. Father, Son, and Spirit, definitely. They're at the forefront. The angels, but there's also a cloud of witnesses. I know that my, my father, who passed away actually within a couple months of being here, Jonathan David Forsyth, who was a pastor and a missionary in Bolivia before I was born, he's cheering me on right now. He's cheering me on right now.
Now, I just want to kind of transition, though, and, and say, while I love these disaster movies, which I do, sometimes I come away from the high of, you know, you watch a movie and you're like, I'm going to be a different person. This is wonderful. I want to be just like them. And then you're talking with your wife and something comes out of your mouth that really hurts her. And you're like, ooh, has anyone hit their head against a wall like that? You come from this big high, like, I'm inspired. Maybe it's a good sermon. Maybe you just came back from a conference. Maybe it's a movie like me. I get really inspired by movies. I love good, godly characters in movies. And then it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that to my wife. I didn't really deal with disciplining my kids in the right way. I said I was going to do something for someone else, and I didn't do it. Has anyone been there? Yeah, I've been there a lot. Um, this past November, I'm just going to be, can I just be frank with you guys, just open and vulnerable? I found myself actually in a point of frustration this past November where so many relationships in my life um, and even here as a pastor, there was just ways in which I saw it one way, but yet things weren't lining up with that. You ever been there? You're like, this is how it should be. This is how I should be in it. This is what should be going on. And then when the rubber meets the road, you're like, it's not lining up. I think this is something, you know, we all struggle with. And it can lead to a lot of frustration. But as the Lord began to work on my heart, I started to realize, the Holy Spirit helped me realize, a lot of times, (laughs) the biggest problem in the way of all these frustrations and relationships not being what they were, the biggest problem is this guy right here. And I know that's, it's not fun, right? It's not fun knowing that you're the, you're maybe the problem to why things aren't going well, right? But I think we all have times in our lives when the Holy Spirit has to deal with us, right? He has to deal with us. Well, I was in that season in late November and I just, man, just different things I was stressed about in myself, ways I still was thinking. Even here as a pastor, I'm like, don't think that way. That's not the right way of thinking about the situation or that relationship. Um, stop that, stop that. And yet I felt my, found myself still doing that. And what it does is it leads, it can lead to a, a shame or a, you just don't feel worthy. Anyone been there? I think it's a very common struggle. And just in pastoring, I know it's a very common struggle with a lot that I hear in this room when I'm pastoring you. I I know a lot of you struggle with that as well. So I got to this point where I just was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I began to relate with, does anyone relate with Peter in the Bible? I think I relate with Peter more than anyone maybe in the whole Bible. Actually, I I had a memory. I was texting Pastor Lynn. He's like, are you ready for this Sunday? He always, um, one of my favorite phrases that the Lord keeps reminding me of this week as I was prepping for preaching is, and Pastor Tim, if he was here, he would totally know what I'm talking about. He either calls you or comes in your office, especially when you're about to preach or teach a class, and he goes, ready, ready, ready? (laughs) Sometimes he'll put his thumbs up just like that and be like, ready, ready, ready? Those that know Pastor Lynn, he's like, are we ready to go? And what I've come to appreciate about Pastor Lynn is he's not just talking about, do you have your notes? Do you have all your Bible scriptures? Do you have fancy slides? You know, do you have the perfect words to share? But when he says, ready, 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 most of all, what he means is, is your heart ready to go preach? Are you ready in his presence? Are you ready, ready, ready? And I, I want to go, I want us to look at Peter for a little bit here. Um, let's turn to our Bibles to Mark 14. This is the New King James Version. Um, I'm going to be using exclusively the New King James Version today. Let's go to Mark 14, 27 through 42. And we're going to just get a glimpse into Peter. And this is a very critical time. So to give a little context, 
We're uh, near the end of the Gospel of Mark, which is this is where all the pressure comes. This is where it all goes down. The warfare intensifies. The enemy steps in. The religious leaders, the disciples very soon will be scattered and they'll go their own way. So let's just, let's just read together here. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus speaking some hope right there. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Anyone said anything like that? I know I have a lot. God, I give you my all. I will not let you down. I'm fully surrendered. And then I get frustrated that I have to change a diaper in the middle of the night. And maybe my attitude isn't the best. Okay. But he spoke more vehemently if, oh no, here we go. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, Peter, that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Ouch. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. So Peter's the leader. He says, man, if, if, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. Then all the disciples chimed in. Me too, me too, Jesus, me too. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took kind of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Obviously, he'd be on the cross, which was horrific, but in many ways, this might be the biggest crisis moment of Jesus' life. This probably is right here. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, the leader, Peter, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came to them a third time and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Whew. Man, um, you know, I, I read this, and one, it's just amazing to see Jesus' surrender here, but I can't help identify with Peter. You know, even TJ was saying earlier, some of you might, he, he was feeling led of the Spirit, some of you might feel disqualified. And, you know, I know Peter was probably feeling pretty disqualified at this point. You know, he had a destiny. He's going to be the rock of the church. He had a prof strong prophetic call on his life through the lips of Jesus. And here he's being tested and he's falling asleep. Couldn't even stay awake for one hour with Jesus at his greatest need. His master, his best friend, his, the one he worships traveling for three years. Here he is at the crisis moment. And yet, falls asleep. I think we can all identify, right? We've missed those moments. Let's, um, something I, I, I just want to just share right now is, you know, 
I believe there's a key of hope in here, okay? And as you journey with the, the story of Peter, there's a key of hope. How many know what Jesus was doing leading up to this time in Peter's life that he said he was going to do? Does anyone remember what he, you can shout it out if you know what he was going to do. What was Jesus doing? He knew he was going to betray him, but what does it say in another gospel? Tim Fish will know. Strengthen your brothers. And what was Jesus saying? What, what did he say he'd do through this whole time for he'd pray for him. Do you guys remember that? He would pray for him. He would pray for him. And let me just, one of the biggest encouragements is that Holy Spirit wants to pray for you. Jesus wants to pray for you. In fact, both of them are praying for you. And God wants us to participate in the grace of them praying for you when you're constantly hitting your head against the wall. Amen? What does he say in verse 38 or 37 and 38? Simon, are you sleeping? Could, not, you, couldn't, could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. This is what I think he was saying. He says, Peter, I know the real you, and I know from your deepest part, you're willing. What you're saying, you mean. I don't believe Jesus is saying, your spirit's willing, meaning you're just going through the, Peter, you're just going through the motions. Your spirit's willing. You're kind of saying it, but your flesh is weak. No, I believe Jesus is saying, I know the real you, Peter, and your real you is willing to lay down your life but your flesh is weak. This is a big key here, guys. This verse has been huge for me over the years and has all kinds of encouragement. Now in this story, it doesn't seem encouraging because he fails. But Jesus is saying the real you, the core of who you are, Peter, is willing and would lay down his life. Later on at the end of his life, Peter was crucified and he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Turn me upside down. And he died a very faithful death. So we know the end of the story. When the destiny moment came later, Peter was faithful. Amen? But not here in this story. You see, Jesus was modeling something. Let's look at verse 36. What does he say in verse 36? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. See, this wasn't a one-time moment of Jesus. He needed his Father. He needed the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, but Jesus, he's the Son of God. He's programmed just to, you know, he's God in the flesh. He is just going to obey, and it's just going to come easy to him. Is that the case? No. You know, in the Gospels, how many times does Jesus teach his disciples to preach? How many times is it in there? How many times does he say, hey, Peter, I'm going to show you exactly how to preach? Any guesses? Zero. How many times in the Gospel does he pull aside Peter and the disciples and say, I want to show you exactly how to prophesy? How many times in the gospel does he pull aside Peter and the disciples and say, here's exactly, exactly how you pray for healing and walk in power. Now he demonstrated all these and that's important that they got the demonstration. He only taught really them to do. He taught them different things, but ultimately one thing, what was that one thing he taught them to do? He taught them to pray. He taught them that of their own strength, they can do nothing because their spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak. That prayer for Jesus, and see, Jesus never taught them anything he didn't model. It's not like, I'm going to teach you to pray because you really need it, but I don't need it because I just walk in the Holy Spirit perfectly and, and I never pray to my father and I just go on autopilot and just make it all happen. No, no. Jesus, I love Luke 5.16. I don't know if I gave that scripture, but Luke 5.16 is one of my favorite verses when I, when I look into the scriptures and I look into the, the life of Christ, Luke 5.16. 
It said Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places to pray. He would often, when they were traveling from city to city or they were ministering all day, it, Jesus would get away and he would pray to his father. He would get away and pray. He would get away and pray. And you see, I don't believe the disciples really fully got what Jesus was modeling. We have an example here, even in the garden, they failed, right? They had all the right intentions. Man, I've been there. I'm like, man, I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to lead well. I'm going to lead my wife well, my family here in the church, blah, 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 blah. And then boom, Monday hits, rubber meets the road. And I go, Pastor Lynn talks to me about something. Hey, I just want to bring, oh my goodness, you're so right. I just, uh, I didn't really approach that situation the right way. (laughs) Banging my head. Oh. I want us to now transition to Acts. We see a totally different Peter. Amen? What's something big happened at the birth of the church? God poured out something. What did the Father pour out? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You see, I believe after the resurrection, after Jesus had restored Peter, remember when he's, he goes back to fishing? He's fishing. Jesus restores him and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter just broke and Jesus restored him. This morning it was prophesied or, or spoken out about restoration. I do believe God wants to restore you because some of you feel disqualified. You, you keep missing your moments in your marriage. You keep missing your moments with your teenage kids. You keep missing your moments at at your work or opportunities to share the lost and you feel down because you're like, I could have shared Jesus with that person, I don't. And then shame comes over. But I believe God wants to restore you just like he restored Peter today. I believe God wants to encourage you. You see in Acts 2, before Pentecost happened, Peter, I believe, began to realize something. And this Peter is now not just the leader of 12, but there's 120 gathered in the upper room. And Peter, I believe, was the influencer. And guess what he had them all doing? Did he have them all charging out and trying to conquer the world? Was he training them? Here's guys, we're gonna take over the Roman Empire. We're gonna share this gospel. This is exactly how we do it. What was he doing? What were they doing? They were praying. It says that they were in prayer in one accord and supplication. So right before the the Holy Spirit's poured out, God's people were getting ready, independence. And Peter started to realize an important lesson. Yes, upon this rock, I will build my church. But Peter wasn't going to do it in his own strength. This wasn't going to happen by flesh. Because the spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I get an amen to that? The spirit is welling, but the, but the flesh is weak. You see, Peter, I believe, started to have understanding after the resurrection. See, as soon as Jesus rose from the dead and started appearing to them, that is when they started getting epiphanies of, oh, that's what he meant, that's what he meant. And then when the Holy Spirit gets pulled out, that poured out, then it goes into hyper mode. They started to understand for three and a half years, we didn't get it. We just missed it. We were beating our heads against the wall. But when the Holy Spirit came, came, got poured out, they started to get revelation after revelation after epiphany after epiphany. I believe they couldn't even contain it. Even when they were writing letters, they're like, oh, Jesus, you did this. You fulfilled this. You showed us this. You are amazing. And they couldn't contain it. And I believe something was happening in the life of Peter because he had failed, 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 leading right up. But then Jesus restored him And he started to realize, huh, he's resurrected. I got to get ready for this Holy Spirit. What do I do? I'm not going to fish anymore. Jesus pulled me out of that. He wouldn't let me go back fishing. He wouldn't let me. He's like, nope, you're not going back to your old life. He had them all praying. I was frustrated. I want to go back to where I was at in November. You, you know how God wants you to be in your marriage, and yet when the rubber meets the road, you don't say it like you know Jesus wants you to say it. You know you need to engage your teenagers. They're at a critical time, and, and they're going through the emotions, and you love them so much, and you're like, ah. and then when the, 
moment comes, you might not have the best attitude or loving attitude. Not intentionally, it just comes out. And you're like, ugh, my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. Maybe it's with your finances. You're like trying to, your finance aren't where they're at and you're trying to work hard and you're just frustrated. It's like, I can't get it right. I felt the Holy Spirit in November say, Matthew, like he did, I believe, to Peter after the resurrection. He said, would you watch and pray with me one hour? And actually, very specifically, I said, Lord, I'm on my knees. I can't solve these things that I keep butting my head against. And so I said, Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't the only way you can pray, although it's a powerful one. I encourage you to come on Wednesday. I said, I am going to commit to coming into dependency and praying one hour in tongues every day for December. If I do two, three, four, five, six. And again, praying... <laughs> Praying in tongues, that may seem like hard work, and there is something where we need to build up to that, but let me just say this. Tongues is easy. It's you getting out of the way. You're not doing much. You're not riding a bicycle. You're not, you're not building a wall. You know, you're not laying cable. You're not preaching up a storm. You're not preparing for a teaching lesson. You're just there in dependency. Praying in tongues. And I will tell you, God began to restore things. God began to restore things. He began to do a work. I'll just say this. Finances had been a stress. And I'm a little hesitant as a pastor because it's like, obviously, my salary is off. I am so thankful. God is so such a blessing. We are blessed. So let me just make that clear. I was almost careful to share on this, and I don't like sharing on this this often, but I have to to give glory to God. As I began to pray in tongues, God began to give me the unction and the leading by the power of the Spirit. I budgeted good, but I wasn't budgeting in excellence. Now, if I compared myself maybe to some of you guys, it might be like, oh, I'm fine. I do the same things they do, right? But how many know we live under God, not under the standard of men? He's our judge. He's our standard. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul said, I don't let anyone judge me. He's my judge. So according to my judge of finance, I knew the standard he wanted me to be, be in when it came to budgeting. And so if any of you guys know Dave Ramsey, <laughs> whoo, yeah, whoa, we got to, were you paid to say that by Dave or, or shout like that? <laughs> so I used to budget Dave Ramsey style. And all of a sudden, I felt this unction. And again, I am giving no glory to me. I'm not saying Matthew, you're amazing because I had been putting some of this stuff off. And it's like, it's time to go back to the way God wants me to budget. I began to pull out cash every couple of weeks, budget out every dollar we were doing, put them in envelopes. You know, the envelope style. Does anyone still do the envelope style of cash? So I literally, okay, grocery fund, all this. It's like, Holy Spirit, I just trying to trust you. I believe this is what you're calling me to do. And I'll tell you, as I started doing that, God began to bless us like crazy in our finances. <laughs> Tax return that had been stuck in the IRS for two years came through, had gained all this interest. Yeah. Special gifts from folks. Um, uh, money we thought we had to pay in a Parker Riley's education for their spring semester and their homeschool setup. Um, we end with, is, nope, you don't have to pay that, you're done. All these blessings that I could share in December and I began to just give glory to God. He got the glory. Because even though I was beating my head against the wall, oh, my circumstances don't line up. I'm just frustrated with my finance. And maybe you're frustrated with your finance, or maybe for you it's your marriage, or your, your relationship with your teenagers, or, or you know, um, just your job, or the things God's called you to. As I prayed in the Spirit... Not only was God providing the blessing, he was changing me to receive the blessing. See, he has destiny moments in a perfect will, but he needs to get your willing spirit, your born-again spirit built up so your character, he's not going to compromise his character, meets the perfect will of God. But only the Holy Spirit can do that, and he primarily does that. He does that through word, he does that through worship, but one of the primary ways he does that is through prayer. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was constantly in prayer. And I believe that many times he was saying, Father, I really want to do this, but I'm not going to do it. 
I'm going to do this. What do you say? I'm feeling this, Father, but okay. He was constantly having his will crucified. And when he did that, guess what happened? The Father poured out the power, the blessing to do what he needed to do and to not miss his moment. Amen? Um, I want to, let's go to Romans 8, 26 through 28. I'm just going to go over the scripture briefly, but this was the scripture Holy Spirit began to remind me of in uh, late November. And if some of you are, are volunteers, I know on the prayer team, this verse I printed off and, and gave in a card to you guys because I felt so big on what the Lord was speaking to me about these verses. So let's read together. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is good news, guys. This is really good news. Do you know you have a prayer partner named Holy Spirit? You have a head intercessor named Holy Spirit over your life and who knows your destiny scroll. For those that are coming Wednesday, we're going to deep dive into these scriptures, go nitty gritty and share testimonies. Um, Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I want us to stop right at, let's go back to 27. So as you're praying, and I believe this is particularly referencing praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, something it's like so effortless, you don't even understand what's happening how like God to humble the proud with something so foolish. As you're doing that, Holy Spirit searches your heart and the heart of everyone in your life. He knows every heart in the body of Christ all at once. And he's looking at the big picture and the details together. This is, I'm giving you like a paraphrase of what's the revelation of this verse and he's making intercession for you. How many, how many know I'm a saint? Raise your hand if you're a saint. Your prayer partner, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, is interceding for you according to your destiny scroll, according to the will of God in your life. Now let's read 28, one of your, all of your favorite verses. Let's read uh, Romans 8, 28 here. It's back one slide, I think. As we pray, because we're weak, and that word weakness in verse 26 is like every form of weak. It could be infirmity, physical things going on. It could be our weakness, like Jesus is talking about. Your spirit's willing, your flesh is weak. I just found myself in late November, I'm weak, God. I'm trying to solve things, and it's not happening. It seems like it's taking forever. And then I started to point to the fact that, man, a lot of times it's me. I'm the problem. What do I do? We begin to pray and say, God, just like Peter learned, you know what? I'm in the upper room. I know apparently I'm going to be the head of the church. Big things are coming. He said, wait, I'm going to obey him. And we're just going to pray because that's what I saw Jesus do. We're just going to pray. And as you pray out, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and what you start to see. And I have testimonies in here. I began to see God. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I began to see God work out things where he's like, yeah, I got financial blessing. And you keep asking, God, bless my finances. It's just not where it needs to be. But then God's like, I'm going to change your will. So you start aligning your character with the blessing I want to pour out because you're not doing that in your own strength. Even your character development does not happen on your own strength. It's not like God did his part. He died for me. Now I got to work out my character. I got to strain and strive every day. I've tried that. I'll tell you a whole lot. And I end up banging my head. I want to bang my head against this. But God's showing me again, Matthew, even your sanctification walk is all by grace. We're not just justified by grace. That means right standing before God. Justified means I'm approved of because of the blood. I'm in right standing. We're not just justified by the cross and by the blood. We're sanctified. Our process of sanctification is all by grace. And Peter, I believe, butted up against this, but then he started to realize if I'm going to be this leader of the church and God wants to pour out a spirit and we're going to begin preaching this gospel, I need to get on my knees and pray. 
because there's no way I'm going to do it. And then what happened in Acts? Holy Spirit's poured out, tongues of fire. The gospel goes out. They literally say, we hear you speaking the wonders of God in our own language. He lifts up his voice and Peter preaches a powerful sermon and 3,000 get saved that day. And I'll tell you, Peter was never going to go back at this point because he had learned to pray and now he had the Holy Spirit. See, that was missing in the garden. That's why I think Jesus had so much compassion. He was still calling him to a standard. Watch and pray. I need you right now. But he's so compassionate. I believe Jesus in the back of his mind was like, oh, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, Peter. I know it's really hard for you to pray. I believe his compassion's that deep. Yes, he was frustrated, you know, as he should. He wanted his friends to stay with him, but he knew the promise of the Father would come, and this would be a brand new Peter. That's why he says, Peter, I'm going to pray that your faith may not fail, and when you're restored, you're going to encourage your brothers. When you're restored, you're going to encourage... I mean, think of the compassion of Jesus. All of the betrayal and the neglect and the, of Peter, denying him three times, and yet through the whole process, he's praying for him. You have Holy Spirit who wants to... As you pray in the Spirit, he prays out the perfect will of God. Later in Romans 8, it says, Jesus is also interceding at the right hand of the Father. I want to go to Acts 6, 1 through 4. Acts 6, 1 through 4. How are we doing? Is this encouraging? Is this helpful? Just want to see how we're doing here. Okay, good. Um, so this is Acts 6, and I want you to hear Peter's new heart for I need Holy Spirit, and only through prayer is any of this going to happen. Meaning Jesus is going to do it, but he's asked us to pray. Yes, there are things to be done. Here at Valley, I'll tell you, it was, this was my busiest week at Valley in three years as pastor. It was the busiest week. I know Fallon, you were busy. We were all, it's just a lot going on. A lot of good stuff, right? But in the midst of all that busyness, may we not get lost in the busyness and start to rely on our own power. Because very soon we'll be like Peter, bam, knocking our head against the wall. But Peter was a new man by this point. He's filled with the Spirit. And listen to this. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Notice their qualification, full of the Holy Spirit with wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, what is Peter saying? You're like, well, these, these are the apostles? Like, they should serve tables. Like, I mean, does anyone else's brain go there? Like, why are they neglected? Like, that's, isn't it important to serve tables? Like, is anyone tracking with me here? That's how often I would, would read this. It's like, okay. But you have to understand, Peter, I believe, was the influencer here, like he was in the upper room. Guys, the gospel is being spread. People are coming to Jesus. They are receiving the gospel of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. People are getting baptized in the spirit and this whole Roman world is getting turned upside down by the power of God. We need to give ourselves continually to prayer because if we stop at that, we'll run in our own fuel and the whole thing will just fall apart. And he's saying that about your lives right now. And, and don't be overconfident if you're like, man, I'm doing really good right now. I've said that. I'm How are you doing, Matthew? Oh, I'm doing really good. Now, I'm not saying that's not a bad, as I've, it's not a bad phrase to say, but when I say it sometimes, am I doing really good in my own strength? Or is my response, it's been hard, but Jesus has been so faithful. I, I've been tired a couple times this week. My wife and my kids are sick but he's been pouring out his blessing. He's been doing wonders exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or imagine according to his power, which is at work within me. 
No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul got to the point where all of his efforts came to nothing and he realized, I want to know nothing when I come to you, Corinthians, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Where did he get that heart? Through prayer. In, in the heart of prayer, in those times of communion, God reformed his heart and got it set on the right things that, Paul, you're not pulling this off. Peter, you're not pulling this off. I'm pulling this off. And I'm the one who not only called you to destiny moments to step up, but I'm going to give you the grace and the strength to seize the moment. And I will be glorified because there'll be no credit on you. No credit on you. There's no glory in the flesh. I'm going to say it again. There's no glory in the flesh. And Holy Spirit is determined in your life, so there's no longer any glory in your flesh. But that all glory goes to Christ. And that is when you will be most satisfied. And that is when you actually begin to fulfill your purpose in the perfect will of God. No longer I, but Christ. Um, so I just want to exhort you. I guess this is my exhortation part is, and again, I, I'm very careful here. Follow Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you're in a desperate place and God's calling you. Would you stay and watch with me one hour? Now, that can be, I, for me, it was praying in the Spirit. For you, it could be worship. It could be, you know, whatever it takes to become dependent on him and saying, Lord, you told me to stay and watch, to pray and I'm going to posture myself in your presence, whatever that looks like, and I'm going to give myself and no longer try to figure out all the problems and solve the messes and maybe let you be God and see what you can do. Amen? What if we committed to that and said, God, I'm done trying it my way. I'm like Peter, I'm done my way. I'm done making big boasts and then getting frustrated and shamed, all full of shame because what happens doesn't line up with that big boast I made or your perfect will. You know, life is short. We don't know how many years, days, or hours we are given. There's a sobering uh, scripture I was reminded of yesterday, actually, during uh, Rick LeBrun did a phenomenal teaching really meaty stuff for all of our prayer ministries. How many of you guys are thankful for our Sunday altar teams? Yeah, let's give a clap. How many are thankful for Linda and Breakthrough Ministries? How many of you guys are thankful for Donna and the Healing Rooms? Raise your hand if you've been touched by one of those three ministries. I believe almost every hand should go up here. Um, and during this training, Rick really brought us back to, he started talking about a global perspective on things. And I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. Therefore, make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You're like, Pastor Matthew, how, how does that relate to with what you're saying? Well, first of all, there's this, I'm not going to um, water it down. There is a judgment seat for what we do with our destiny moments. That needs to be spoken. Well, no, Christians aren't judged. That's the lost. Those who don't know Jesus will be judged. I won't be judged. Well, you won't be judged in the sense of your eternal salvation because that was secured when you received Jesus. But those destiny moments, did I choose God's will or did I do it my own way? Because it says, all that I did my own way will be burned up with fire, but only the gold and the silver is gonna remain. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But if I, if I do it my way, that's not the well done, good and faithful servant. It's when we do it his way and it's his power and it's his grace and it's Holy Spirit leading. I'm gonna close here in just a little bit. 
Um, as I shared at the open, I love, I'm a, a lover of disaster films, but if I had to pick a favorite, it's actually all of the documentaries and movies around what happened on 9-11 in 2001. And I know for some, you might have a distant relative, maybe even immediate relative who's impacted by that. And I, I don't want to take that lightly. It was a very severe, horrible, tragic day for the world, but specifically for America. That's when 19 Islamist terrorists hijacked four commercial flights, having planned out for years to fly one into the North Tower of the Twin Towers in New York City, the second into the South Tower of the Twin Towers. They were successful at both. One into the Pentagon, which they were successful at. And then another, most believe, into the Capitol building, which was having meetings that day, and there were a lot of people in the Capitol building. That one was not successful. Because there was a group of people on that plane, Flight 93, who were ready for their destiny moments. You see, they were calling their loved ones because they knew they didn't have much time to live. And as they did, they caught wind of the fact of what happened in New York. And they said, you know what? I don't believe that guy who's guarding the cockpit actually has a bomb. We think it's fake. We're going to get together and we're going to charge this cockpit because no one else has to die when this plane crashes. And the courage, the courage. So based, based on all the collecting of data and cell phone conversations, investigators later determined that Mark Bingham, Tom Burnett, Jerry Glick, and Todd Beamer were the lead group of men who would lead the charge into the cockpit. And I wanna just show you right now a brief video. It's an interview from a few weeks after 9-11. It's done by CBS. The woman is Lisa Jefferson, a Christian, strong Christian. Before charging the cockpit, Todd Beamer tried placing a phone call using the credit card with the phone in the back of the seat in front of him. It didn't work and he was routed to Lisa Jefferson, an airborne supervisor at a call center. When I took the call over, there was a soft-spoken, calm gentleman on the other end. He told me that there's three people that have taken over the flight. At that point, I asked him his name. He told me Todd Beamer. He was from Cranberry, New Jersey. Did you make a conscious decision not to tell Todd about the World Trade Center? Why? Yes. Because um, I wanted him to have hope. I wanted him to think that he still had a chance. I didn't want him to feel like it was just totally hopeless and he definitely didn't have a choice and he knew he was going to die. I didn't want him to have that feeling. When he wanted to pray, was your sense then that, that he knew that... Yes, I did. I felt that he knew at that time because he had said, oh, Jesus, help us. And then he said, Lisa, would you recite the Lord's Prayer with me? And I knew that he knew at that time that it wasn't much left for him to do. What do you think that um, this country needs to know about the men and women who were on board Flight 93? They're all heroes in my eyes. They really are. They all pitched together, and they did what they thought was the best thing to do at that time. And um, I feel that Todd played a great role in that because when he told the guys, are you ready? I assumed that they were waiting on his cue. Then they responded to him and he said, okay, let's roll. And would you please help me welcome his wife, Lisa Beamer, here tonight. She called me that Saturday morning. I told her, I said, you have two boys, David and Andrew. She said, yes, yes, I do. I said, you expect me a third child? She said, yes, he told you all of that. I said, yes, he did. And he wanted me to let you know that he loved you and his family very much. And I gave her a message and kept my promise. Yeah. A hero, one of my favorite heroes. But let me tell you, as we close right here, there was one who, right after his disciples betrayed him, this story, he said, my betrayer's at hand. Essentially, 
let's roll. And Jesus, just like Todd was ready for this moment through prayer, Jesus was ready for the moment to die for you. He says, you know, just like, I don't want this plane to crash in the Capitol building. They knew they didn't have a pilot. They, didn't, they weren't going to hijack it and fly it to safety. They knew we're going to get in there. They told it. The FBI was listening to the phone call, and they said, we're going to steer it, and we're going to crash it so no one else has to die. And Jesus, on a whole nother level, said, I'm going to that cross because you've been abused. You've been abused by the sins and the, and the choices you've made. You've been abused by the demonic. And a cost has to be paid. Sin has to be atoned for. And if someone's got to take the brunt, it's going to be me. And when he was dying on that cross, he took what we deserve. Your shame that you feel because you've wronged him You've wronged the Father, went upon him. Let's not cheapen the cross. He was bleeding and dying because of your ways of breaking his commands, because of your rebellion is why he went to the cross. Because sin has a consequence. The wages of sin is death. And a death had to be, a life had to be spent And I just want to encourage you today, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. He died on that cross, just like the courage of of Todd and that team today. He took one so that you can live the life of freedom that you have now. Think of all the men and women who've given their lives so that we can have the freedom we have here in America. Jesus paid the ultimate price so you can be free no matter what's going on around you. You know, I don't want to prophesy doom and gloom, but you, 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 you read the news a little bit. War here, rumors of war, and wars going on literally right now. We're in volatile times. But I'm so thankful that I get to stand upon not the rock Matthew, the rock Jesus Christ. I know my name's in the book of life because I'm a pastor, because I tithe, because I mow my lawn and nice to the neighbor. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I will not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. My hope is on the rock. And I I just say, rise to your feet right now. I'm going to close this right now. If you came here today and you're beating your head like Peter and you're saying, I don't really know Jesus. I've, I've been in church maybe. Maybe you've been in church before. You grew up in a different church. And I'm gonna ask actually the altar team to come up here. And you're here today and you're like, yeah, I beat my, I've said I wanna do the right thing and I don't do the right thing. And you've never actually given your life to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, that is the destiny moment of destiny moments. Because this life will be spent and gone. These people, when they got on that flight, they didn't know that they'd have about 40 minutes, whatever it was, to live. And you don't know if today might be your last day. But if you are not right with God because you have never repented of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord. And I did not tell you that I preach in vain. So we're going to have prayer team that is equipped to lead you in in a prayer to receive Christ. If you have not received Jesus as Savior and you haven't repented of your sins, they are equipped, just trained afresh yesterday to lead you in that. And today is a destiny moment where Jesus wants to save you He wants to assure you that you're the father's child because of his blood and the price that he paid for all your sins and that you know your eternity is secure. 
You know your future is secure and you can begin through prayer by the Holy Spirit, through the body of Christ, through worship, through all the means God gives to receive his grace, begin to find his will for your life. And I believe there's some here who've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter tried doing things, but it became a whole different story when he was baptized with power from on high. Holy Spirit has come as a Christian, as a son or a daughter of God. The Father says, I want to send the promise of my spirit. So not by your own strength, but by my spirit, he's going to pray for you when you don't know how to pray. He's going to speak through your lips when you don't have the words. He's going to give you the mind to know what to do in a situation when you feel like you're out of your mind. And so I want to encourage you to come up to, to one of those here, and they would love to pray for the baptism of the Spirit. And if you're baptized like me, I was baptized for a year and three months, but didn't pray in my heavenly language. And I met a man, and I was, it was after a, a speaking engagement. He says, you're Matthew. I've been praying for you for a year and three months ever since you got baptized with the Spirit. Come on. He's now, he just uh, uh, transitioned to glory about a year ago. Um, This was like 12, 13 years ago. And he said, you're filled with the spirit, Matthew. I see it clearly. Do you pray in tongues? I said, I don't even know what that is. He said, oh, don't worry. You're going to be in your private closet. You're going to be worshiping God. It's just going to come out the next morning. (laughs) God's funny. I said, God, you would send a man like David. He didn't even know me. His brother just told told him about me. And he's been praying for a year and three months. And he told me about this thing called tongues. I just thank you. God, boom, it just came out. (laughs) He wants you to receive salvation if you're not saved. If you're not baptized in the spirit and you hunger for that, he wants to baptize you. And if you've never had the release of your heavenly language, a language of grace, a language where he will pray, Holy Spirit, perfect prayers over all your weakness, all of your sin. He searches your heart. He searches your wife's heart. He searches your kid's heart. And he begins to pray out the perfect will of God for you and for them. And you get to walk in it and start seeing him do miracles. I got a whole book of them. Ooh, I'll get that later. I'm just fired up right now. And he gets the glory because he's building my life. I'm not building my life. I'm done building my life. I'm done building my life. I want him to build. Jesus, you build my life. And when I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall, I'm going to run to you because you know how to build. You're a really good builder. You know how to find the perfect will of the Father. Even when I'm, I'm way far from bullseye. Bullseye's here. I'm shooting that way. The Holy Spirit can help us walk in those destiny moments. So again, knowing Christ as Savior, baptized in the Spirit, your heavenly language, or any other needs you have, if, some, if God spoke to you today, I encourage you. This is a, an anointed team, prayer, prayed up, equipped, and ready by the Spirit of God to pray for you. As a reminder, we have Social Sunday right afterwards, and I wanted to end with a blessing. Would you guys like a blessing from Scripture? This is one that's not often prayed, but it's one of my favorite. One of these ones buried in the back of the New Testament here. This is 1 Thessalonians. Just receive. Put your hands out to receive here. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And I'm just going to allow the Holy Spirit to bless you right now. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If it's in the word, it's possible. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Father, I thank you for each one here. I thank you that you are sanctifying us through and through as the God of peace so that our spirit, soul, and body might be kept blameless at your appearing. So God, I just bless each one here. I bless their their health. I bless their family, their finance, and the, the, the destiny moments that you're calling them to even today, this week. God, this week, you're gonna give each of them opportunities to make decisions. Oh God, keep them in prayer. May their first thought be, I need to pray not, I need to figure it out. 
And God, I thank you that this week, as we take an hour to pray, as we pull aside, as those here begin to pull aside and draw upon your grace and know you through intimacy and begin receiving your thoughts and your, your opinion on the situation, that you're going to show up in amazing ways and they're going to declare the wonders of God and others will come into the kingdom saying, we heard the wonders of God proclaimed. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Social Sunday, join us. And if you need prayer and are feeling like a Peter, I'm going to be up here as well.